Welcome to Laughter for All. It's the podcast with comedian Nazareth. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Laughter for All podcast. Uh, I am comedian Nazareth, and thank you so much for joining us uh, on this uh, Tuesday, 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Pennsylvania time. And I want to thank you guys because you guys made us number 56 in the comedy podcast, which has a thousands and thousands. So really interesting. And we're getting, uh, I don't know, I just checked uh, 1,358 downloads every month, which is not much, but it's not little. We've been going over a year now. So it's really excited about this. And I want to thank you guys. So uh, if you do what you know, you're watching right now and you have any questions for our guest, I want you to just put it on the comment because we will, we will, you know, I will look at it and I will share it uh, when possible and not share it, but actually I will look at it and answer it if we can. So here we go. We're going to share this now and we can share this again onto a page of our laughter for all, which is one, our sponsors. And let's do that. All right. So uh, also, if you are if you watch our show every night, every weeknight, it's called uh, Live with Naz. This is an opportunity for you guys to to be funny. You know, some of you are comedians like closet comedians and you're trying to, you know, hey, I, I know I'm funny. Well, you can join our show 830 p.m. Pacific time on Facebook. I will ask you questions and you answer with funny answers and we'll laugh for an hour at the end. I you know, we ask for prayer requests and then we encourage you a little bit, which we really needed. So we've been going on since March of last year, the day the pandemics, the quarantine started. We started the show and we're show tonight. It'll be show number 207. So we developed a whole community of people that want to laugh with you, want to pray for you, want to encourage you. So join us every night but i'm excited because i have a friend and I, uh, a comedian friend of mine well you know i always say oh these comedians are my friend no i actually stayed at this man's house and he stayed at my house so that makes us really good friends uh i want to introduce him officially because this guy been doing comedy back in the 70s and gordon douglas has been married to his wife dawn for over 35 years they have five natural children, which they told me they won't be able to have, and have opened their hearts and homes for a whole lot more. We'll hear about that. Gordon, someone who lives and loves to laugh in the 70s, his comedy skills took him from the nightclubs in Philadelphia to Hollywood. He is also the, will will share about uh, certain things, but let me introduce this. Uh, when he and Don told 40 years ago that they couldn't have children, they were deeply moved by the biography of Keith Green. Remember Christian artist Keith Green? And they opened their hearts and home to eight boys, only three at a time, a missionary family with four kids, a young couple with a baby. Also living with him are his in-laws and some outlaws. Yes, two prisoners under house arrest. So, uh, this man has a heart of gold. He loves Jesus. He's very funny. Please welcome my good friend, Gordon Douglas. Thank you for joining us, Gordon. Oh, so nice to be with you, Maz. Huh? It, it is fun to laugh during this virus. Uh, this is funny. So you started comedy back in the 70s. Yes, 1977 was my first show ever. 
take us back there. What happened? What what made you want to go on stage? What did you do? Why did you move to Hollywood and all that? Yes, I was 21 years old and I was just out of trade school. I didn't go to college. I went to trade school. I wasn't college material. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, went and studied carpentry. And uh, I was coaching Little League at the time. And as a new coach, you know, you go to the tryouts and all the kids throw three balls, take three swings and you score them. And, and being the new coach, I got all the kids that couldn't run, couldn't throw, couldn't hit. <laughs> this short chubby kid uh, that was on my team. And I saw his mom pull up to pick him up. And she had this giant Lincoln Continental back in the 70s when they were like 35 feet long, big purple Lincoln Continental. And I saw her get out and I said, I know that lady. She's always on Johnny Carson. She's always on TV. And her son is on my team. <laughs> Julie DeJohn. So I went over and said hi and start chit-chatting. I said, you know, people say I'm kind of funny. Uh, how do you get into the showbiz thing? You know, carpentry's not really my thing. <laughs> I couldn't, I didn't have a thing, but I love to laugh and I love to make people laugh. It was what gave me my identity in high school and other things. I just love to make people laugh. So she said, yeah, give me a tape of your act. Now, a tape in those days was a cassette tape. Yes. <laughs> I didn't have a cassette and I didn't have an act. I just had stories I told at parties when everyone else was making out and I couldn't get a date. <laughs> I would get invited to parties because people said, oh, you're such a fun guy, but I wanted to go and meet girls. So I went to Radio Shack. I bought a little cassette uh, tape player, went down into my basement and told all the funny stories I could think of about everything that went wrong when I was playing football or trying to go out and the trouble. And I gave it to her and she called me the next day. I was working shift work at a boiler house down in South Philly. And uh, she called me up and said, Gordon, come over. I want to talk to you. So I went to this big, beautiful house. She stood in the doorway. Uh, yeah, yeah, Julie DeJohn, you'd have to check her out. But she was on Johnny Carson 28 times. She was a large woman that sang beautifully. If huh. you know the song, uh, double your pleasure, double your fun with double me, double me. That was her voice. <laughs> she was a singer and a comedian much like a Toadie Fields and others back in the 60s and 70s uh -huh. and uh, she handed me my little cassette and said Gordon this is cute and I just smiled well thanks you know it was nice and she said Gordon people don't pay for cute <laughs> and she said but you have a gift I can hear it in your voice take this one hour cassette and get me 10 minutes of gold out of it and she sat down with me every week for six months and taught me how to write a joke, how to set it up, how to transition, took me to all the shows that she was doing in all the fancy clubs of Philadelphia, Palumbo's Nightclub, Latin Casino, Valley Forge Music Fair. She was opening for Frank Sinatra. She was wow. opening with Joey Bishop and Danny Thomas. I mean, the best of the best. And I got such an education. And after about six months, she said, I think you're ready. I have a show Friday night with Bill Haley and the Comets. Now, I don't know what age group your audience is, but if you've seen the show Happy Days, right? One o'clock, yeah. two o'clock, three o'clock, right? That was the, yeah. the Bill Haley, right? That was Bill Haley. And uh, I got to do my first ever nightclub show for Bill Haley and the Comets and Julie DeJohn. And uh, it, it went extraordinarily well after I choked. <laughs> I, I don't know. You've been at it a long time, too. Have you ever gone blank on stage? Just forget what you were doing? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It happened. It happened. Well, it happened uh, actually many years after I started comedy. It was like 
It was one of those, like, I completely blanked out. I could not think of anything, and I didn't even go to the audience. I was just, like, in shock. Like, how can I forget that? Yeah. So you, yeah. you did, you choked a little bit. So I, I'm with Bill Haley in the comments. One of their uh, band members had passed away, and they were doing a show in memory for him. And uh, so starting at 7 every hour, there was drinks on Rudy. Rudy was the saxophone player for the songs like See You Later, Alligator, and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. <laughs> And then at 10 o'clock, they had all these 50s bands playing. Oh, it was, oh, it was awesome. But they said, folks, take your seats. We're now about to begin the program, making his stage debut, a young comedian from Philadelphia. Welcome, Gordon Douglas. And I'm on a big stage, spotlights, a band behind me. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I went up there as a 21-year-old kid. And I said, folks, it is such an honor to be here in memory of an award-winning songwriter, an international uh, performer. Uh, I, I, what a great night for, and I forgot his name. <laughs> I forgot the name of the guy we were having the party for. Behind me, like the signs I have in my little picture here, there's a picture of him and across the stage is his name, Rudy Pompili. <laughs> And I stopped. It seemed like 10 hours. It was probably 10 seconds, the longest pause in comedy history. And I turned around and I read the sign and the people roared because I was a young comedian busting on the dead guy who we were honoring that night. <laughs> and there were two Jewish comics in the front and they turned to each other and said, this kid's got chutzpah. <laughs> he's, he's busting on the dead guy. So that was my first show ever. And uh, the next two years, Julie took me around to all kinds of programs. And uh, I, I was making a, a pretty good name here in Philadelphia. And through a connection of a connection of a connection, I got invited to audition for a show out in Hollywood. The show was American Bandstand. Oh, yeah, uh, I remember in, that. In 1978, they were introducing comedians. So at the end was that Dick, uh, Dick, uh, what do you call Dick it? Clark, right? Dick Clark. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. And I could do the dance and rate the songs, but at the audition was Robin Williams, Ellen DeGeneres, Jerry Seinfeld, Jay Leno, George Mueller. And about, I was number 35 in the audition. And wow. I'll tell you what, that class of comedians and the guys who had cut their teeth in nightclubs and the gong show days, they were at such a higher level than me. I chickened out. I mean, you said to be real on this program. It's neat to say I went to Hollywood, but when they called my name and Robin Williams had just walked off the stage, I said, there's no way I'm following him. And you didn't. And I didn't. And I regret it to this day. I've since learned that oh. you know this. You know this. It's best to follow the best guy out there. Don't follow the guy that bombed. The audience is right. dead. Follow the guy that's got the crowd in a roar. You ride that wave. Oh, man, I regret. I got on a couple TV shows. I was on Mike Douglas. I, I got on Kayla Burnett as a cameo. Uh, I got on a couple other things. Um, but it was at that time the Lord had just gotten a hold of my life. Comedy was getting dirtier and dirtier with the George Carlins and Cheech and Chongs and others. And I, here the Lord is trying to clean up my life. And, and the comedy world was going down the tubes in my mind. Right. Uh, so. I, I left that world uh, to go into ministry, of all things, where you're not allowed to laugh. <laughs> How old were you when the Lord, you know, you felt that the Lord called you to ministry? Yeah, well, 
I, I got saved in the classic Jesus I found it in 1975. It was a ball of fire. I had what they called chair evangelism. You ever go up to a chair and say, is this seat saved? No, are you? I would just go right for that. <laughs> and after two years, I graduated from my trade school. I was out of my Bible fellowship. I was working at a refinery. I was in the wrong crowds and the wrong clubs. And I, I really backslid in two years. But uh, God used that moment to get a hold of my heart and just said, yeah, I want, to, I want you to tell people what I've done in your life. And uh, I just started speaking at youth groups and churches. And next thing you know, I was a youth pastor and going to Bible college. And uh, that was the next 19 years doing clean comedy. I didn't even know there was such a thing as Christian comedy. The only guy I knew I was Jerry, Jerry Jordan. There was a Jerry Jordan in the 70s and a guy named Grady Nutt that was on Hee Haw. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I had met some guy named Ken Davis back in 78. You know, he was doing some neat stuff and he was a Christian. But other than I knew nobody. And then in the 80s, of course, Mike Warnke came along and a few other people, but it, it was such a small group. I didn't know anything like a, a, there were Christian comedians or you could even do comedy in a way that would honor the Lord right. or, or, be, or be a tool to evangelize. And, I mean, we have come so far in the last 25 years. It's been amazing. I know. I know. So tell me, uh, so you, uh, you married Dawn and then you were told that you guys can have kids. And then yes. what happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love your I love your story of how you met your wife. I hope all of your listeners have heard that. I mean, it's such a divine series of circumstances. Uh, I do a lot of love, sex, and dating talks for pregnancy centers. I'm going to be doing a marriage conference out in uh, Springfield, Illinois, uh, on Valentine's weekend. And one of the questions you get is, uh, how did you know she was the one? And, uh, oh. and for me, it was easy. Uh, you know, she agreed to a second date. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that funny. was the first one out of 30 that did that. I was going to go for it. But uh, yeah, we, we got married. I was 25. She was 19. And uh, we met at a, at a college and career Bible study. And uh, boy, that's a great place to meet somebody. And uh, there's a great story about it in my book. But the bottom line was when we went to get married, we had to get physicals and do all that premarital stuff. And the doctor said, I, oh, I you had to get, get physicals. Why? Yeah, well, yeah, just all that birth control stuff and going to the doctors and things we went through. But the doctor called me and said, I hate to tell you this, but your fiance has some problems and she'll never be able to have kids. Huh. And, and honestly, I was devastated because I love kids. I want kids. I had a plan to have my own baseball team. <laughs> and uh, it was just kind of, really, I just, I wanted a large family, uh -huh. and, uh, but I love my wife and I didn't know if I'd get anyone else to marry me anyway. So we, we got married and I was speaking at youth groups and churches and uh, just a mixture of comedy and my testimony and God was blessing it. And the next thing you know, this boy called me and said, you know, you said you would help people if they're hurting. Uh, I need help. He was 14 years old. He said, I'm on the streets of Philly. My parents are on drugs. And it, the story gets worse and worse and worse. But we picked this boy up at two in the morning, took him home. A couple of days later, we got in touch with his family who said, keep him. Aww. Went to a lawyer and gave us their son. They had so many issues going on in their home. They just couldn't handle whatever. It, it is a tragic story. Uh, but we got legal guardianship of this 14-year-old boy moved in and we got him in school. And the next thing you know, he told us, yeah, I have a friend that's in trouble. Could he stay with us too? And number two moved in. And a few weeks later, number three moved in. And 
And uh, they stayed for three years. And when they graduated high school, God brought three more. And in the meantime, my father-in-law, Charlie, moved in. He had had a stroke. I'm not sure if Charlie was here when you visited with us or not. He was with us for 18 years. Charlie and Chucky. Chucky uh, is my wife's brother. And Chucky has Down syndrome. And oh. uh, he has, has the mind of a four or five-year-old. He can do the alphabet. He can converse with you. Just one of those absolutely adorable kids with Downs. And uh, so we had a father-in-law with a stroke, a brother-in-law with Downs, three boys with alcohol and abuse issues. And the local prison called and said, we're too crowded. Could somebody watch prisoners while they await trial? They called our church. So we took in two prisoners under house arrest. <laughs> Along with the three boys, the father-in-law, the brother-in-law, and a burnt-out missionary. It's like the 12 <laughs> days of Christmas. <laughs> And so then our, you... home, our home grew and grew. In fact, one of the games we play when people visit is uh, we line up all our kids in the living room and we play a game called Guess Which One is the Convict? <laughs> <laughs> now, how, uh, so when did you guys have your first child, uh, you know, like biological child? Yeah, yeah. I was at four years after we were married, as we started taking kids in, all of a sudden the doctor said, oh, your wife's pregnant. Well, that's not supposed to happen. Well, she'll probably not be able to keep it. Well, we ended up with five of those babies that we weren't <laughs> supposed to have. <laughs> so, Praise God. So our home grew from one to three to six to nine to 13. And we've had 13 to 15 kids here for the last 35 years. Uh, in order to comply with the guidelines for COVID, you know, groups of 10 or less, we had to ask four of our kids to leave. Now, let me ask you this, and this sure. is something really interesting. I would love for you to, to, to talk more about this. We live in a culture in a time where we're selfish and we care about ourselves and we don't want to be inconvenienced. And we always have uh, this victim mentality of like, man, our life is hard on me. I have one child and life is so hard. How did you and Don, your wife, how did you deal with that? And, uh, you know, I want to hear the spiritual part and I want to hear the part where you said, what, why are we doing this? I don't want to do this anymore. Talk oh, to us about this. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, you want to get real. I mean, there are many times uh, where, where you want what in the world are we doing and would we ever do this again? And honestly, you know, with COVID, uh, two of our kids went back to their birth mom. So we are we are down to 10 in the house. That's the smallest we've been. And uh, it is different. And it, it is why people say after a comedy show, because like Facebook and others, you share funny things about your kids and the like. And so many people, even in their 50s, Naz, will come up and say, I wish you could adopt me. I wish you could I move into your home? Because people are looking for love and a place where they feel safe. And uh so the, the need is huge, but it, it, it's not ever something we even look for. It just kind of unfolded over the years. And uh, you had such a great interview with Tim Hawkins, who was so open about the struggles of his career. And, and uh, it's not easy. It is not easy. Uh, I, 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 do, I do a number of jokes uh, about the fact that we had convicts living with us. And... Uh, <laughs> And, 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 and people, I, when I'm doing a comedy club, which, you know, back in, I still do some clubs every now and then because I don't want to just be in churches. I want to be salt and light wherever God leads. Right. But I'll ask the question, who do you think God loves more, the, the, the pastor or the prisoner? 
And almost everybody will say, well, the pastor, of course, you know, you took in all these kids, you did this and that. And I said, no, no, no. I asked this question. It gets so quiet. You know, in a comedy club, you can use any foul word. You can discuss any body part. People, it's shock. It's not humor. But I'll ask this question. And what is the difference between the pastor and the prisoner? And it gets so quiet because you even mentioned, I don't mention that I'm a pastor until like the last 10 minutes of the show. Because I want to let them know I'm a guy. I work with tools. I work construction. I have kids. And, and, and we build a relationship. At the end, I'll mention my relationship with God as much as I can, depending on the audience. So I said, do you know the difference between the pastor and the prisoner? The difference is he got caught. <laughs> and there's this awkward silence and left. And, 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 but yeah, my Bible says, for all have sinned. And I love mm-hmm. to share that. I said, and I'm always amazed. I said, if I told you the stuff that I did, you wouldn't want me to speak here. And, and I can tell you what the prisoners did. I can tell you some of the stuff my boys that we took off the streets did. But I am just as guilty in God's eyes. And that keeps you humble. And then I, and I, I was also amazed. You mentioned my kids. And I don't have the right setup now as, you know, it's out of the context of my program. But I'll <laughs> share some of the stuff that my boys have done with uh, yeah. drugs and alcohol and being in prison. And, and I'll mention some of their sins. And I'll say, oh, by the way, that's that's not the boys that we took in. That's my birth son. Uh-huh. Oh, and, oh, and that girl that maybe got pregnant and needed to go to the pregnancy center. That's not just one of the girls we took in. You know, that was my daughter's best friend. Or and I share some really personal stories about our struggles and failures because I want them to know we are not perfect. Uh, though, you know, in my introduction, uh, it says that my wife and I were named parents of the year and in Pennsylvania. Uh, the, that's you know, what you the state do. of Pennsylvania, which is a huge honor. Uh, but the, the truth is that our kids just wrote in more ballots than anybody else. <laughs> we have. Now it, it is truly an honor uh, uh, that my kids submitted my wife and I uh, and wrote letters on why they thought we should be named parents of the year. And that's given us a platform, but I, I am very humbled and open in my program when I get to speak about parenting that we are not the best parents and we are not perfect parents, but that we represent parents. We are a broken, blended, dysfunctional family and any struggle that any couple out there in the audience has, my wife and I face with our kids and not just our birth kids or not just the boys we took in, but our birth kids as well. Uh, That 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 idea that yeah, our home is perfect or we have all the answers. Now, we've learned a lot of things at work. Uh, we know that love conquers all, but we know that God never gives up on anybody. We've learned to deal with generational and ancestral sin. There, there is a lot of stuff that we've learned that you can break off of people and give mm-hmm. them greater chances of success. Uh, we know that God's word doesn't fail, uh, but we know that a lot of God's kids are not walking in a way that pleases him. So, if God, the perfect father, is having trouble, uh, we need to make sure we, we give room for our kids to grow and learn. And sadly, sometimes it's the hard way. Yeah. But I, what 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 got, I mean, you know, a lot of people would say the same thing, oh, this, but what made you and your wife different to the point to be able to adopt that many and to allow that many people into your private home? Yeah. Well, Again, I, I think uh, I, I quote from that great philosopher, Tim Hawkins, again, <laughs> I was having a chat with him once and he said, Gordon, 
you're a hammer and the whole world looks like a nail. And I had no idea if I was a setup or a punch or a joke. And he's like, Gordon, you have the gift of mercy and you have the gift of evangelism and you want everybody to be in your home. You want to rescue everybody. And my wife, if you looked under the gift of hospitality, my farm, uh, raised on a farm, wife you know, just loves to serve people. You were here. We were at a banquet once. And I said, so funny, but it's so her. Uh, she just loves to serve. And we were at a banquet, one of our, you know, I do a lot of pregnancy center banquets, about 30 a year. And we're there at the head table with all the fancy people and they serve the meal and I'm doing what I do. I'm telling my story and interviewing people and getting ready to go on stage. And I looked over at my wife and she was cutting the meat of the man next to her. <laughs> she was so used to being at our dinner table and getting all the food ready for the kids. And let me cut your meat and get this here. She was listening to my story and just automatically started cutting the meat of, of the CEO next to us. <laughs> now, what, what was your, how, how was your, you know, when you grew up, what was it like? What was your parents like that made you kind of, of course, it's the Lord, but what gave you that, that heart? Yeah, well, uh, we're classic South Philly blue collar family. My dad worked at the refinery. My uncles worked at the refinery. I worked at the refinery. It's what you did. It's the, yeah, they call the place where we live the city of seven smells. <laughs> there are seven refineries, you know, Gulf Oil, Arco, Sun Oil, all these refineries on the Delaware River in South Philly. So it's just what I, so I grew up in a blue collar, hardworking family. And uh, I had a, an older sister and two brothers and family was very, very big. And my grandmother lived across the street and my other grandmother down on the corner and two uncles lived the block away and we grew up in a neighborhood where it was family, very ethnically diverse. Uh, we had the Peppies and the Bastidos next to us, the Yanavijin Jacks behind us. The, you, know, we, you had to have a 20 syllables and a no at the end of your name to live on our street. It was, a, it was the melting pot of South Philadelphia. Are you what, Italian? Uh, no, but we were, we were the Scottish family. We were the one Scottish oh. family right off. My mom is, is right off the boat from Russia. And my dad was right off the boat from Scotland. So very ethnically mixed community, uh, it, which is just wonderful. I mean, you learn and you have the foods and the neighbors. But uh, so I guess that hospitality is just, we always had picnics in the back. We, people came over. Um, and then when I, when I got saved and you know, missionaries were coming, hey, they need a place to stay, come to our house. And we started entertaining missionaries. And, and then wonderfully, uh, we, we live, you've been here, this place is humongous. I live in a huge home. It has seven bedrooms and four baths. And uh, the church built this for us at a time when the business I had started was going bankrupt. And Tell us about that business. That's another, the great, uh, it's called the Therapeutic Construction and Design, making custom equipment for folks with disabilities. Yes, yes. Yeah, someone just asked if they could come to my shop today and see what I do. Uh, my dad was in a wheelchair for 23 years. When I was uh, a junior in high school, he hit his head on the car and mm. it started a series of events where they found a brain tumor. It was actually a blessing that because of the blow to his head, they did an x-ray and found a brain tumor. But mm. in the seventies, brain surgery isn't what it was today. And it left him paralyzed from the waist down, blind and deaf on one side, all the nerves to his face were cut. So I, I learned to have a real appreciation for those people in wheelchairs and those people who look different, smell different, talk different. 
And mm. uh, then when I get married and, and to get a brother-in-law with Down syndrome, God really just threw me into the world of, of the physically and mentally challenged. So being a carpenter going to trade school, my dad needed a ramp to get in and out of the house. So I built him a ramp. He needed a tray to fit on his wheelchair so he could eat his meals. He needed, and I started building stuff for him in my little basement wood shop. And then he would go to therapy or he would go to the hospital and they'd say, hey, where'd you get that thing when you're, when you're <laughs> my son built it. And the next thing you know, I was getting orders to build wheelchair trays and special chairs and, and beds. And the next thing you know, I was asked to, to you know, someone was at, had a stroke or an auto accident and needed their house modified, widen the doorways to make room for a wheelchair, change a bathroom so you know, they could get to the toilet, stuff you don't think about. Uh, I, I started this business called Therapeutic Construction and Design, and it just it grew. And next thing you know, I had seven full-time employees, and I was making a fortune. And uh, through a series of events, both my own and others, I lost everything. And uh, yeah. in large part, you know, I hate to admit this, Naz, but you said be real. God had been calling me into the ministry for seven years, and I kept saying, wait. You know, I'm making really good money, Lord, and, and look at the missionaries I'm supporting, Lord. And, and once I make that first million and once this chair gets its patent and once and I put God off for seven years because things were going well and I had a nice little ministry going. And then eventually God said, pull that rug out, slam the door. You're not listening to me. And uh, boy, that was a reset button. He got my attention because I lost everything. Now, tell me, you were. You're having all these people in your house from your own kids, five kids. You have these, you know, foster children. You have uh, prisoners living in your house. You have your father-in-law with a stroke and your brother-in-law with the Down syndrome. How did your marriage work? When did you have time, you and your wife together? How did you handle this? I'm sure, were you always on the same page or not? I mean... Uh it was her parents. Uh, was she feeling bad? That's a lot of questions. I'll let you answer the first few. Well, you, you just ripped the scar right off. I <laughs> ripped the scab off. Oh, golly. Uh, I, I've heard you ask that question to other people. And uh, there is a chapter in my book. And, uh, if I got, I'll throw that in there because it's going to We will talk fun. about your book. Yes, we want to make sure. I, I, you can't even see we it. Can't no, see can it see it right it, now. Because it's yeah, probably, it says, yeah. Well, my, my book is called Growth Spurts and Growing Pains. The struggles of a skinny stud muffin. And oh, and you're the skinny stud muffin. Exactly. It's 10 things I did right that I want my kids and grandkids to know that brought me closer to God, helped me grow in faith, experience love, joy, and peace. But then I did want to be real and I shared 10 of the stupidest things I've ever done. Let's hear about the stupidest things. Yeah, the first. growing pains. That's where the idea that I've done things that hurt me or hurt others. And you just hit one. One of the chapters in my book is about my wife and I on my 25th anniversary. And we've been married 41 years now. When I proposed to my wife, I sent her a telegram to where she worked. I had arranged with her boss to pick her up and make a real long story short is I, I proposed uh, via telegram at her work. So for 25 By the way, years- People who don't know what a telegram is, it's like Instagram, but uh, physically. Yeah. Yeah, people come up. So for 25 years, I sent her a telegram. I had arranged with her boss to kidnap her at work and take her up to where we had our honeymoon. I thought that would be 25 years. And I'm a comedian. As that's good. That's romantic. And that's as far as I planned. <laughs> <laughs> you 
You're right. That's how we comedians plan. We just plan one. one We drove two hours up into the Pocono Mountains, and guess what, Naz? The resort wasn't there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Oh, you didn't plan. You didn't arrange for. It was closed. There was a canoe with a hole in it. There was nothing. It was an old abandoned hotel, and a mountain. (laughs) What am I going to do? We drove around and we found a truck stop. A truck stop. So this is our 25th anniversary. This is so honest. We pull in, we get some hot dogs at a truck stop because of all our kids and little league and and games and activities. We have folding chairs and a blanket in the car all the time. So we sit out at a truck stop. I put out the blanket. We're going to have a little picnic. And one thing I thought would be fun to do was to do a little test and see how is your marriage going? Little test, 25 questions on a scale of one to 10. Let's rate each other. Uh-huh. Book, you know, it's a book by Norman Wright, who's written 70 some books on marriage. So questions like, is your husband a good listener? Is your husband a good provider? Is your husband, and, and, and there's 25 questions for me and 25 for her. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I didn't do well in school is I always want to be the first one done, not necessarily right. <laughs> but I'm just going through the test. 10, 10, 10, threw an occasional nine just to keep my wife humble. But, you know, she's amazing. Is she great? Is she wonderful? Is she good looking? Is she, you know, how's your sex life? Everything, the 25 questions. I'm done. 20, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, you know, two nines, just two nines. I looked across the blanket and now she's crying. And she's like on question four. And I looked at her answer sheet and I had twos and threes. Wow. And, and I said, is this a joke? What, and she said, Gordon, you're there for the church. You're there for the boys. You're there for the kids. You're there for every audience. But I haven't gotten anything but leftovers for the last 10 years. Mm. You know how many marriages that is true for the guy uh, thinks I, he's doing great. And then boom, I Go had ahead. I had no clue. I was in tears. She was. In, I, I love my wife. I would have never intentionally. I love applause. I love the audience. I love what I do. I love the feedback with the boys. And I kind of just assumed that she just loved cooking and cleaning and doing seven loads of laundry every day and all the stuff that goes on. Uh, I just heard the door close. And we do, we know like seven loads of laundry. It's unbelievable. But it was a wake up call. Mm. And, and uh, so we actually talked with my pastor and, and uh, we got an assignment to start dating every month that we have to go on a date and two rules, two rules for all those listening out there in Nasland. You can't talk about the kids and you can't talk about church. That's my whole world. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's like all I talk about is my kids. So honestly, we were on a really tight budget. I had just gone bankrupt. Uh, I got lots of funny stories of how God blessed us in bankruptcy, but we literally went to Burger King and ordered one root beer soda, two straws, <laughs> because we had no money. Mm. And and we're, we're yeah, you know, all right, I'm going to pull the chair out for my wife. I'm going to treat her like this is a real date. We sit at the table and we look at each other and I'm thinking, can't talk about work. I can't talk about church. I can't talk about the kids. What do you talk about? And, and I said to her, like, uh, how's your soda? because you're you're drinking from it i I had nothing i had nothing 
And we, we learned and got some great books about questions to ask, 10 great dates, things to do, and ask, how are you feeling? The classic, how was your day? Uh, it's a big part of my comedy show now that I can share some jokes about it because men don't know how to ask questions. And if you ask men, how was their day? What do they say? Fine. Right. Yes, kids. Right. What did you do at school today? Nothing. So you've got to learn to ask more specific questions and demand answers and learn. And it's fun at our dinner table now because kids can't wait to talk. I want to know how they did in that science test that we studied for last night. Uh, did you get that grade back on the essay you were working on yesterday? We're involved in, in life so we can ask specific questions. But they also, they want to share because we've learned, I'm going to sit here and listen. And we, mm. our, our dinner table is so much fun. And uh, we do get into some unusual questions. I mean, it's, it, it is a true story, but I talk about all my kids. Uh, we, we've just recently taken in our 24th. Uh, and I say recently, it's been three years. But uh, 24th kid. Yeah. <laughs> but again, not all at once. And not all at once. I know, so, I know. But, but. I was going to put the picture up of our dinner table. It's on my website, uh, just so people could see what our dinner table looks like. But uh, we were we were sitting here. My daughter had just come home from college. I, I would say my funniest daughter. Uh, people say, you, you, your website says you have 19 kids. You just said you had 24. And I said, well, that's just because I don't like four of them. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> but, but you know, you love each kid differently, but they are different. And some are harder to love than others. Yeah. And but my, my daughter, Kristen, is me. She's a long-haired, red-haired red version hair. of me. Yeah, she's, I remember her. Oh, she's funny, and she's smart, and God called her to be a missionary at 14, and she goes off to Bible college at 19. 19 Bible college, you know, this is my dream. And uh, she comes home for Thanksgiving. She's sitting at the far end of the table. She actually brought four kids from overseas with her because they had nowhere to go. <laughs> I'm shrinking the comedy story down, but it's true. We had an extra four kids and uh, she sits at the far end of the table because her dad's a pastor and he's a comedian and I'm going to embarrass her in front of her college friends and she's cool. But halfway through the dinner table, my wife gives me the elbow. <laughs> That's her love language. <laughs> the elbow. <laughs> Physical touch, right? <laughs> <laughs> and my funny. wife says, Kristen has a question for you. And everybody's talking and gabbing away. We're having fun. I said, oh, go ahead, honey. Uh, what do you want to know? And I think because she's in Bible college, she's going to ask some Greek or Hebrew or some Bible trivia. And in front of everybody, she says, Daddy, what would you think if I got married? <gasps> Silence. And she added, Oh, and remember, mommy was 19 when you married her. Ooh. <laughs> Mike dropped. Mike dropped. It's like, and I was stunned. I was not expecting that question. And uh, I know the boy she likes, and I'm concerned because there's a 10 year age difference. Ouch. Yeah, he's nine. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's a David Farrell joke. David Farrell. I was having breakfast with David Farrell the day after this happened. He had come to Philly and I had breakfast with him at the airport uh, just to encourage as part of my role as the chaplain of the CCA. And I was telling David the story because I was stunned. And I told my daughter, give me three days to pray about this. And uh, when I told David the story, he said, what? He's nine? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That but I, did, funny. I, I, I did give her my blessing and she did get married. And uh, 
they are now eight years on the mission field. And uh, I couldn't be mm. happier. Uh, I, I knew she was ready at 19. Her walk with the Lord, she knew what she wanted. Now, my 30-year-old son, I don't think he's ready yet. I don't think he's ready. <laughs> you know? And a, a big part when I talk about marriage is it's not just about finding the right one. It's becoming the right one. Becoming. That's so right. You know what? Uh, sometimes it's when you marry. You can marry. I believe you can marry anyone. But when you both commit to being unselfish and you commit to want to work on it, you want to make it work, it will work. Uh, but let me ask you this. Before I ask you this big question, I want to ask you this. What was the funniest thing that happened in your house that you remember the funniest thing with having that many people in the house? Oh, goodness, funniest thing. Well, that's that's a good question. That's nobody's ever asked me because a big part of my comedy is just telling people what goes on in our home from changing my first diaper to punishing the wrong kid. I mean, that's funny. Now, <laughs> You punish the wrong kid when you have 24 and a my, half. My, my kids threaten me all the time. Dad, if we tell people this, you're going to lose your parent of the year award. But, <laughs> but I have an office in this wonderful house that the church has provided for us. I have an office upstairs in the far end of the house, as far away from the kids as I can get. So I can have some time with the Lord. Right. And it's also where I can look out over the backyard where the kids play games. And I was hearing them play and just taking a break from my studies. I looked out the window and I could see the kids playing. And I saw my son, who was probably 10, 11 at the time, run up to this neighbor kid and just rip the ball out of his hand, shove him to the ground and, uh, and just like total bullying. And I have been bullied most of my life. I'm a skinny, puny guy that got bullied and that just hits a hot button in me. And now I am just instantly furious. And I march downstairs, I slam the door. I go out there and scream in front of the whole neighborhood. I grab him by the back of the shirt and I'm wailing his backside the whole way into the house. Don't you ever pick on a little kid. I'm yelling and screaming. And he's like, but dad, but dad, but dad. And I get in the house and I finally calm down. And, I, and he says, but dad, he was throwing the ball at the baby. <laughs> he was stopping the neighbor kid from throwing the ball at the baby. All I saw was my son knock him over and take the ball out. Of his <laughs> oh man! Oh goodness! Oh, that's it's kind of funny now, but oh my goodness, that is humbling because I didn't listen. I reacted in anger. I didn't really explain. Oh, give him a chance. Oh, so yeah, I, I'm both embarrassed by that, but I want to be, uh, that, that's part of what's happened. You uh, know, it's what's funny is I remember the first time I saw you, it was, I think, at the CCA, the first CCA, and many years ago, and you were talking about how skinny you were. <laughs> you yeah. said, what was it? Your pajama had what? <laughs> My pajamas only have one stripe. I mean, that's talking, we're talking skinny. Uh, yeah, I'm so yeah. skinny. I keep wallets in both pockets, so people think I have a hiney. I mean, it's I've got a whole <laughs> bunch of skinny jokes. I drink yeah. tomato juice and stand by the window. People can tell the temperature. I got skinny jokes. <laughs> but uh, okay, so going through all this, a big house, challenges. Your wife giving you two and threes, and then Don, your wife has cancer. Yes. Oh, oh goodness. Oh, oh, did I forget to mention that? <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, but that was touching when you were talking about sharks and all that. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> that was what yeah. a, how did you guys deal with that? How did she? How did you? Yeah. 
you yeah. know, with having 24 kids, uh, pe oh, yeah, that many people in the house. I I, I, I've learned a lot and I have been broken. And uh, there have been three seasons in my life where I have just cried out to God for six months and I would consider myself clinically depressed. I mention that often when I speak at churches and in programs that I'm not funny when I'm not on my meds. Of all the things that I share about, that comment gets more anger in the church. You take meds for depression? Well, where is your faith? I mean, you're such a nice... And I said, yeah, my dad was in a wheelchair because he had a brain tumor. Nobody yelled at him about not having faith. But if I say I took meds because I was depressed, it's okay to take insulin medicine. It's okay to take medicine for antibiotics. But if you say you needed help, it is a red flag still in the church. It's like the unforgivable sin. Mm. So, Are you still on meds? Uh, I know, actually, by God's grace, I've been doing great for about four years. Uh, uh, but I have them nearby. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more. This is good. I love. Yeah, I, I want people, real. I want this show to be real. Talk to me. Yeah, I, I tell people, especially in our comedy world, you know, most of our comedians, even in the CCA, have dealt with depression and a lot of pain. And I use this statement a lot. If you, if your doctor says you need meds, take them. You'll be happier, and everyone else will be too. And don't make the mistake of thinking that as soon as you start feeling better, you don't need them anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. God can do miracles. I believe in healing. I believe in miracles. And I, but usually it's a process to get out of it. So I, I share that only that in light of my wife's battle with cancer, it was one of those years. I had been fired from a church because I had become charismatic. And, uh, you know, as a fundamental Baptist, that was just not acceptable to believe that God could still <laughs> heal people today. And, uh, I, I, so I was fired from my church. Uh, my dad had just passed away. My father-in-law had passed away and my brother-in-law had passed away. And one of the boys that we took in had falsely accused me of something I didn't do. There's like five lifetime, anyone will devastate you events all within six months. Wow. And, and I, I just, I, 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 I was just numb. I was totally numb. And we literally came home from burying my brother-in-law, Chucky, 37 years old, 18 years he had lived with us. And uh, oh my goodness, I got all choked up, but we came home from the funeral. The answering machine, explain to your listeners what answering machines are. <laughs> yeah, it's when you called and... <laughs> Yeah, we had a little wall phone and we had a box and it was blinking. If someone called you, you didn't have a cell phone. This, and uh, so I hit the machine and, uh, and uh, it was the doctor's office calling saying, uh, we need to talk to your wife right away. Well, she had had a mammogram a week or so earlier and long story short is uh, they had found cancer and God did seven miracles in our life. Uh, while she, I mean, I mean, we took her to the hospital that day. They had put the x-ray up or the mammogram up on the thing. You could see a golf ball in her breast that was a year old. They had missed it. The nurse said, I don't know how, we missed it. And when they took the new mammogram, it was bigger than a tennis ball. Which wow. uh, they said, if we don't operate this week, she'll be dead in a month. Now, I had just left a funeral. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and all the rest of the stuff. And my wife's in the hospital. I'm in the backyard trying to play with the kids and, and you know keep some level of sanity in our home. 
And my son comes out on the back porch and said, dad, somebody on the Florida, somebody in Florida wants to talk to you. And I'm thinking it's a timeshare or somebody wants a comedy show. And I was like, just take a message. No, no, they said it's really important. And I said, so I take the call and it was a church I had spoken at a couple months earlier. And the pastor said, there's a boy in our church that has some special needs and he was so touched by your program, but he's going through such a hard time. Could you call him and just encourage him? Mm. Well, well, that's what our ministry does. That's the fruit, man. We make a connection. I, so I, I said, I would be glad to. And I said, and uh, so they gave me the name and uh, boy, the chance to be used that using your gifts can get you out of depression. Helping somebody else out of their problems can get you out of depression. Yeah, you can uh, say that again. That uh, is that's true, so important. Medicine. Yes. So important during COVID. Yes. Uh, hey, don't wait for a call. I call one person a day, either a pastor or a comedian, just to see if I can pray with them or talk with them. And I haven't met one yet that didn't say thank you for calling. Most will say, you're the first person that call me in six months, which is sad. But then I, I, I use my comedy skills, Naz, and I'll say, you got a cell phone, right? You know, hold it up and look at it. Do, does it have buttons with numbers on it? Oh, yeah, it's, it's got numbers. Well, I said, well, then you call somebody. Call somebody. Don't sit there and right. say, oh, he's calling That's me. Right. Nobody's calling me. That's my tough love. That's my pastor side. Don't whine to me that nobody's called you. You get on the phone and call somebody. Right. Every day, every day I get to call somebody from the biggest names in our CCA to, to the, the beginners that are just starting out. But hey, they all need a friend. They all need to know somebody cares. And uh, I haven't had one person yet say, no, nah, you know, I'm fine. Don't, yeah, you know, go call somebody else. Every person wants a call. That's so amazing. now I'm asking people, just like evangelism, now you go out and call somebody. <laughs> Right. You know, I remember when I became, I took over as the president of the CCA because Shonda was, was I think she was having depression at the time. So I took sure. over and then I had two more years and I committed when I did that because it was a lot of work. I said, I want this to be led by God. I want the CCA to be completely about the Lord. And then you were the chaplain at the time. And I remember many times we just pray together. And we had so many challenges come in with different comedians and different problems, but it was so neat to have someone. And I was telling Ma that it was just so neat to have someone like me and Gordon, we can pray. And once we can pray, we can run the whole CCA. We don't, we, we're okay doing the decisions because of that. So you, for you to continue to this day to call the comedians and follow, I am guilty of that. I am completely guilty. I help, I like to help the newer comics. Sure. You know, if there's someone needs help, I'll help him. I'll call him. I'll follow through. But the the the, the veterans, eh, I hardly connect with them. But I feel, but that's amazing. That's your heart. So, tell us about the miracle. So you call. So that kid after. So you encourage that kid, and then what is yeah. the seven miracles that happen? Sure. Okay. Real your... quickly, the uh, this pastor who is also a medical doctor, uh, his wife is actually the one who called. Uh, so I'm on the phone with his wife. And through a bizarre series of events, three years earlier, uh, or three months, I forget time frame. I'm terrible on time frames now, but God had provided a chance for me to take my kids to Disney World uh, through a gift and a ministry that helps pastors and taking the boys off the street, kind of like the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Right. So 
So my wife and I, and I think seven of our kids went down to Disney World and this pastor let us stay at his house. He had an apartment over his garage. So we got to meet and he got to meet our kids. So the wife's on the phone and just happened to say, uh, I, I said pastor, it's actually the wife of the doctor. So I'll get the details right yeah. in the story. Uh, she says, oh, by the way, how's your wife and kids? You know, just being polite. I said, well, since you mentioned it, would you mind praying for my wife? She's in a hospital now. She's going to have a mastectomy tomorrow. Oh, what's wrong? Well, she's got breast cancer. And she starts laughing and says, do you know what my husband does? And I said, well, I believe he's a dentist. And she starts laughing. And she said, why would you think he's a dentist? I said, when we stayed at your house, I looked in his office and I see all these pictures of women smiling. And, <laughs> and she starts laughing and she said, Gordon, they're smiling because they got new boobs. My husband is the leading breast surgeon in America. <laughs> the leading breast. And who calls me the day before my wife's having a mastectomy, but the leading breast surgeon's wife. Wow. She, she said, would you like to talk to him? Well, yes, I'm overwhelmed with everything. Praise God. And he calls me that night and asked me for the medical reports, the diagnosis, and, you know, we live out in the suburbs now, so we're not near a big city hospital. And after reviewing the case, he said, Gordon, get her out of that hospital. They don't know what they're doing. They already missed a tumor the size of a golf ball. So I went to the hospital, got my wife out. He said, call this hospital in Philadelphia. I trained a doctor there who's a Christian. I get my wife out of the hospital. I call up this doctor and they say, oh, he's booked for six months. And I said, oh, well, you know, Dr. So-and-so said that you might want to enter. Oh, you know, Dr. So-and-so. And I said, well, actually, we stayed at his house. <laughs> and they said, well, tell you what, if you can get here in an hour, he'll talk to you during lunch break. So my wife and I drive to North Philadelphia. We get there in time to meet this doctor who on his lunch break looked over the case and said, yours is a very complicated case. It's going to take three surgeries at once. Uh, it's going to take six months to plan. Uh, I just don't think we can do it. So we talked, we prayed, we went home, and the doctor called me back and said, bring your wife back. Somebody canceled their surgery tomorrow. Two other doctors have volunteered, and they went, and in 24 hours, we met the, the best breast surgeon in America, got an appointment in the best hospital in Philadelphia, got a scheduled suite for surgery with no notice. They went in mm -hmm. and, and uh, they couldn't find the biopsies. I went back to the hospital and they misplaced the biopsy. I mean, it was just seven more things, but the bottom line is they came out of surgery and said, Gordon, we can't explain it. We have the biopsies. We have the x-ray. We can see the tumor. You can see it across the room. But when we went in, it was gone. Amen. There is no cancer. We took out this, we did that, we checked margins, we checked nodes. Uh, we have no explanation, but the cancer is gone. Praise God. Uh, they watched her for the next six months and then for the next 10 years, uh, they monitored her to make sure they didn't miss anything. But I can't claim great faith. I can't claim it was my, I, I just had surrendered to God. And honestly, when I tell it jokingly, I'll, I did, I, honestly, I said, God, she's yours. If you take her home, I will praise you. I praise you for the years that we have. I praise you for the family. But I said, if I get to vote in this, you get me choked up here. 
<laughs> if I get a vote, God, I'd, I'd really like to keep her. <laughs> it, took me, it took me 26 years to find someone to date me twice. I really don't want to start over. <laughs> and uh, God and his grace have, have given us 18 more years since that day. Praise and, uh, God. We just, we just celebrated our 41st anniversary. Yeah. Congratulations. Now, what something funny happens to you while you're traveling? Travel stories, funny travel story, mishaps, problems. <laughs> Give us one. Yeah. I, 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 gosh, I, 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 I got confused with the 12 a.m., 12 p.m. thing. Ooh. Was, I, I just assumed p.m. is at night because p.m. is night. So 12 yeah. p.m. must be nighttime. And I booked a midnight flight to get to a big booking the next day. And I went to this little airport in nowhere Midwest and there was nobody there. I'm in Philly. The, the airport never closes. Airports close. And there's like one guy and they're pushing a broom. It's like one terminal airport. And he's like, we're closed. Like the airports don't close. I got a ticket. He said, that was for noon. 12 p.m. is noon. Ooh. Your flight Ooh. left 12 hours ago. And I was like, oh, how can you be so, how can you? 12 a.m. midnight midnight a.m. <laughs> so what did you do i had to call a friend and uh it's one of those times you know, mike williams has been so good at this and some of the comedians in the season we've covered for each other in fact you called me about five years ago remember that you were so sick yes you airplane you had like 103 fever you were you, you could barely move and said gordon come to my show tonight if i can't get on stage be ready I remember God, that. I remember. Somehow God gave you the strength to get get up and get through it. And actually, it was a really good show. It but was. I remember that. They were telling me Bill Cosby was a board member of that organization at yeah, the time. Yeah, it was like a big brother and, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I went and I called you and it's a big because, you know, one of the things I do, I don't miss shows. I'm not going to miss a show Never. because I'm sick Never. or anything. Never. And I just you were so generous and kind. I said, would you please. If you can be there just in case I can't go on stage, at least we cover the show. That was very kind. What funny story happened to you during a show or while you're performing? Anything funny you remember? Oh, goodness gracious. I, I, I've had heart attacks. I've had fire alarms go off. You know, when you train young comedians, like have a line for everything. Back in the, in, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, where they had those terrible sound systems. You, you, <laughs> right, in the middle, right in the middle of a show, you would get a police call come over the, the, the thing. Uh, you know, fire alarm, you know, fire on second street and boo, 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 boo. You know, it's like <laughs> sound systems picked up everything. Back so then. there's been some, some funny events that way. Uh, I had a little boy come up and stand on stage and I just like stood next to me, little four-year-old boy. Oh, yes. Okay. Just walked up and just stood there looking at me and I tried to ignore him. I thought a parent would come get him and they didn't. <laughs> and again, in, in a comedy brain, that's like 10 hours. It was probably two jokes. But I finally turned to the little boy and said, can I help you? And this little boy looks up with the sweetest little look and said, can I tell a joke? Oh, <laughs> and, sure. And, and he did. And the, and the audience loved it. <laughs> and I have been telling that story for 10 years. And now in my show, I'll ask if there's any kids under 10 years old that want to come up and tell a joke. And it makes, their, <laughs> it makes their night and it makes their parents proud. And, and I don't have to work for 10 minutes. I'm just, 
I'm just like Art Linkletter, which again, your kids, I don't know your audience, they might not even know Art Linkletter, but he had yeah. a whole show about kids saying the darndest things. Right. And it's one of my favorite things now is to bring kids up and interview them. And sometimes, you know, you know people give you jokes all the time, but little kid jokes are funny. And uh, but sometimes, you know, people at church events will come up and give you jokes and they'll say, this is a little dirty, but maybe you can clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I ask you two final questions? Oh, surely. Uh, one of them will be, of course, the second one will be, how can people get a hold of you and what are you working on right now? The uh, first question I want to ask, how has the COVID impacted your family and your shows? And then I want... Uh, and in the middle, I would like you to encourage people who are number one, worried and fearful about COVID, being selfish, thinking that their problem is the biggest problem in the whole, you know, they have every reason to justify why they're, they're upset, they're, they're troubled, they're angry, they're, you know, not loving, not living the Christian. So I'll let you with these three questions. I'm going to. Listen, sure, that's good. I, that's love, good. I yeah. love this interview. You're amazing. You're so real. And that's the, the whole the whole thing about this podcast, to be real. I have 10 pages of notes we didn't even look at. <laughs> <laughs> I know I had questions. I didn't even look at them. That's good stuff. But yeah, how has COVID? Well, honestly, I have been sidelined completely since February of last year. Pretty much what's on the stage was the last time I was on stage. <laughs> so... Uh, but I, I've done a number of these podcasts and I've done a couple of virtual comedy shows. One third of my bookings are what I call hilarity for charity. I love raising money for ministries, uh, particularly pregnancy centers, adoptions, mm -hmm. special needs that, that are close to my heart. But anybody that's doing a good work, uh, hey, let's let's have a comedy show and bring people together. In fact, you help me. Now you, you may not even remember this show. But we actually did, we, I think you've been out here three times. You and I did a show for Operation Belly Laughs, which is my ministry to the troops. Right. I and uh, we, did, we did two shows. And then a church called and said, would you guys come and do a show at our church? It was East Goshen Baptist Church in, in uh, about yes. 10 miles. I don't know if you remember the show, but here's what made it special. This couple who could not have kids, which I relate to, we're trying to adopt a child from China and it was going to cost something like $25,000 to adopt uh, I mean, oh, we need to change adoption laws in America. But we, we did this show and I think they raised, I forget the numbers, it's actually in my book, but they raised a lot of money. Now, what you don't know, Naz, unless you've read my book and I don't know because it's fairly new, but there's a chapter about this in my book. As a pastor, I do funerals. One of my funniest comedy bits is about a funeral where everything went wrong. We don't have time to get into that, but I am at a funeral for a friend. Her husband had passed away suddenly, a young woman in her maybe late 40s, early 50s. And I am just a guest. I am not officiating the service, but I'm in line waiting to go by and pay my respects. And it's a pretty long line. Uh, and I'm standing there and you know, people today don't have the respect at a funeral home. They don't, people aren't hushed. It's not solemn. It's, it's very carefree anymore. But mm -hmm. in the midst of this line where this dear wife friend of mine is sobbing, somebody said, 
there's comedian Gordon Douglas. And I'm thinking, oh, no, no, not. And this lady comes up and said, you're the comedian, right? You're the comedian. And I'm like trying to, you know, quiet, hush. And I, and she said, you did a show 13 years ago to raise money for a couple to adopt a boy from China. Mm. I said, oh, I'll never forget that night. She said, I was that mother. <gasps> and I'm telling you, she said, and look over there. And in the back of the church was this 13 year old Chinese kid wearing a letter sweater to a school jacket from the local high school. Wow. And he was with the group of high school kids. And she said, a boy in China is in America today because you and your friend told jokes. Mm. Does it get any better than that? No. That, that's just, anyway, so what, what did you ask? COVID, so how is, so anyway, I do fundraisers and now I'm doing some virtual events. I'm doing some hybrid events. Do people know that phrase where it's half live, you know, as big as audience as we can get, we're, we're doing them because most ministries, including pregnancy centers, make about 70% of their money at their yearly banquet. The banquet, yes. And the I banquets do a lot have of been those, canceled. Yes. So, so I'm doing that. When I started, you hit such a great question because my, my agent, I work with the ambassador agency, Gloria, said, Gordon, and, uh, and my buddy, Mike Williams, who got me into this whole thing 25 years ago, said, so many ministry leaders are depressed and struggling for financial survival. So many churches. Uh, could you make a little 90 second video just to encourage people something with some humor and something to make people laugh. So I went and I prayed about it because that is the key. You know, pray, pray. So I said, Lord, what are people worried about right now? Number one, they're worried that they might get COVID. And number two, the people I work with are worried, how am I going to make a living? How is my ministry right. going to survive? All my comedy buddies, what this is it. So I made two 90 second videos. One was all about all the ways God provides in scripture from mm. Genesis through the New Testament. Coins coming out of fish's mouth, manna in a desert, you know, oil that doesn't run out, fish that get multiplied. And I went through kind of like a Dr. Zeus, God provided in a desert, he provided in the furnace, I provided here, he provided, he provided. Don't think that God can't provide, his resources aren't limited. And then I did one on all the ways God protects people. Mm. all through scripture that he is a shelter and a shield and he delivered daniel from the lion's den and he delivered and he delivered and he rescued and he delivered and and, uh, and they were just two fun videos and gloria said gordon these are good you want to put these on facebook i did and they got thousands of hits and all of a sudden i woke up at two in the morning three in the morning just thought if i can't leave my house for the next 90 days if these COVID people are right what am I going to do for 90 days? And I prayed and walked around the house and I wrote down 50 object lessons, light switches, bathtubs, medicine cabinet, any object lesson that I could try to tie in a joke or a truth, a tickle and a truth. And I thought, I'm going to make 50 two minute videos and it's going to last from Passover to Pentecost. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I did. And I'm now up to 87, and uh, I post them on Facebook. All 87 are on my new YouTube channel, which my daughter just made for me, Comedian Gordon Douglas on YouTube. It, they're now called A Word from the Word, A Tickle and a Truth. 
And uh, they're just two to three minute videos that are Bible stories. I impersonate Steve Urkel. I impersonate TV shows. I play characters in the Bible. I have my grandkids and about 30 of them where we're just doing stuff together and I'm teaching them some Bible lesson. And uh, man, that's, I'm keeping busy. God has a job for us and it it hasn't stopped just because I'm home. I've never been busier. I'm just not making any money. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sowing seed. I'm sowing seed and I'm being faithful with the gifts God has given. Amen. Thank you so, so much, Gordon. That is amazing. Uh, would you would you pray for the listeners the, that are watching or listening or they're going to listen to us? And also, before you do that, let us know how can people get a hold of you? Sure. Yeah, I'm not really high tech. I, I'm not as young as I look, but uh, I, I'm, I'm in my 60s and I'm not high tech. So I have two things. I don't tweet. I, I don't do any of that other stuff. But I have a YouTube channel. Just search comedian Gordon Douglas, and I have a website, and it's really easy. It's gordondouglasisfunny.com. It's long but easy to remember. Gordondouglasisfunny.com, and there's links there where people can email me. Uh, there's sample videos. Uh, we didn't talk about. It. I, I brought this. I don't know if you can even see that on screen. Is it? It's not even going to show. This is a DVD you and I did for the Laugh All Night show back in. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, we did that. I wanted people to see that we've worked together before. Uh, but, uh, so, yeah. So that, that's how they get in touch. Uh, I do email. Uh, I post something on Facebook every every day, something funny and something faithful. Uh, the last couple of days, I've kind of ventured a little bit into the political arena just to p- try to bring some humor <laughs> and relieve the tension and remind people God's got a plan. God's got a plan and he's not panicked. And uh, we can have perfect peace if we keep our minds fixed on him. Uh, so, yeah, that's how you get in touch. And I uh, uh, would, would love to share more. So, but we need to pray. Yes, go ahead. Surely. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a good God, that you're near to the brokenhearted. You're a God of all hope, that you invite us to call on you where you said you would show us great and wonderful things which we can't even imagine. But you said ear ear is not heard, eyes not seen, it's not even entered into the heart of man, the good things that you've prepared for those who walk uprightly. So even in the midst of a virus, you're still good. You still have good gifts. There are still opportunities to share good news and that you are there. You're preparing a place for us. You're present, a very present help in trouble. May these names of God, the truths of God, the promises of God drive away the darkness of depression and discouragement that you know in the right way at the right time, you're going to lift this virus. Doors will open again. But until then, Lord, reveal your presence. I believe, Lord, you're getting your bride ready. This was a wake-up call. We've had eight months to get closer to you, eight months to dig into your word, eight months to build relationships, and most have squandered it. Lord, forgive us. You've given us a gift of time. So, Lord, I challenge the listeners today. I pray for them that their hearts would be stirred to think of somebody they can minister to, somebody that they can call or email, somebody they could drop a meal off safely to, somebody somehow, some way that they can share your love with. Lord, that we would just see this ministry multiply by thousands because of this fun program. 
Lord, do something amazing. I believe we're going to see the world's greatest harvest in our lifetime. Amen. I believe you're getting the bride of Christ ready right now. You're building a net to receive that harvest. So, Lord, I challenge the pastors to get ready, to stand for truth, to begin to disciple, to train up people. What would you do if your church doubled or tripled in a month? We need to get ready because the multitudes are hungry and thirsty and mm. fed up with politics and desperately looking for answers that are no longer in a White House or down the street or in a company. Lord, you're our only hope. So use this time. Hear our prayers, oh God, to build your church, to shine your light, to pour out your love in ways that we can't even fathom. Get us ready, Lord. And we ask it for the glory of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Gordon. I appreciate it. Yeah. You're so funny, but also the pastor's heart. And I, I love that. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Hopefully, we'll walk together again soon. Soon again. Uh, and if not, I still got six pages of notes. Let's do this again. Yeah, let's <laughs> do it lots, again. Lots of other love good guests coming up. Who's coming up? You got lots of good guests. You know what? Next week, I have a comedian, Kath, uh, Kathy uh, Winfield uh, from L.A. And then the week after that, uh, Leslie Neil, uh, Nielsen uh, from the CCA, the comedian from Ohio. So we're going to have a great time. So yeah, thank you so much, Gordon. Appreciate it. Love you. Send my love to Don and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Right. Goodbye, everybody. You, God bless. God bless you. And everybody is watching. Remember, Tonight and every weeknight uh, on Facebook under Comedian Nazareth, there is the Live with Naz show where you can be the comedian for an hour. Uh, right now we're at 8.30 p.m. Pacific time. So uh, we'll see you then. God bless you and good night. Thanks. <laughs>